Welcome to the Chemistry Factor Podcast, dedicated to help you consciously inspire your actions in business, no matter what circumstances you're facing, transforming your stress into empowering success. I'm Coach Barney, founder of The Chemistry Factor. For over 25 years, I've worked with hundreds of successful business leaders who have all experienced how poor working relationships and unexpected business setbacks cause the anxiety and stress that weakens your productivity, innovation, and leadership skills. You do not choose to be stressed. It is a reaction, not a decision, that drains your energy, making work hard and less fulfilling. Together, we will discover how to empower your attitude to achieve the greater success and satisfaction you've always wanted in your business, career, and life. Welcome to the Chemistry Factor podcast, where we discuss how conscious value empowerment will inspire your attitude to achieve the greater success and satisfaction you want in your business, career, and life. My guest today is Gary Fishman. He is the managing director of Anretter and Company, an independent investor and public relations firm. Gary has advised publicly traded and privately held companies for more than 30 years, collaborated to write three books on investing and trading, and lectured at Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism. His experience includes working with IPOs, turnarounds, equity, and debt offerings, as well as mergers and acquisitions, divestitures, and bankruptcies. Hiya, Gary. It's an it's an honor to have you on the show today. Thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure. I have a first question for you. How did you become interested in investor and public relations? Well, I began my career as a newspaper reporter. Unfortunately, I picked a time when they didn't make much money. <laughs> I uh, moved to the tri-state area to be near friends from college. Uh, many of them happened to be in public relations, and they were making a lot more money than I was and having a great time living in Manhattan. So I uh, knew my journalistic skills could probably leverage me into a PR job. I worked for a business PR firm that provided some services to a West Coast IR firm. I threw in with the IR firm and I was fascinated by it. This was the early 1980s. The modern bull market was taking off. Wall Street was expanding. New firms were being created. Personal computers were taking off. And kind of like the combination required more marketing communication skills to get the right message out to the right people. You could no longer rely on kind of like a uh, who you know, who you knew kind of network. Uh, you had to you had to find ways to go beyond that. Where were you a newspaper reporter? It was a first my first job out of college was upstate in a small town named Corning, New York. And I worked for a newspaper out of Elmira, New York. Wow. What kind, of, what, what kind of reporting did you do? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, uh, first of all, it, it never occurred to me that in local government outside of big cities operates at night or used to. So my day would begin at two o'clock and it would end at 11 o'clock at night. And I had to cover all these local board meetings at night, things oh. like that around all over the counties. But it was interesting. It was a lot of fun. Cool. 
us about your experience creating the Marvel comic book annual and quarterly reports, which are considered to be one of the most successful investor relationship tools on Wall Street. I love telling this story. (laughs) I had just started my own firm and I saw that Marvel uh, Comics was going public. I've always been a lifelong comic book collector. I even had a superhero comic book strip in college. So I hunted down anybody and everybody that I knew who had a connection to Marvel. And I eventually found one and I got through to the CEO, gentleman by the name of Bill Bevins. And uh, the first thing he said to me was basically, I see a lot of people who know about comic books and I see a lot of people who know about business, but very few people who know both comic books and business. So uh, he connected me to Terry Stewart, who was the president of Marvel Comics at a time. And Terry said, okay, we'll try you out for a project. So the project was to come in. The company was developing its third a third quarter uh, report to shareholders. And back then, these were kind of uh, glossy publications, a trifle that were mailed to shareholders. This was way before the internet. So uh, they were printed, designed, so, so on. So I sat down with Terry in his office with two other executives, and they showed me the cover of it, which was a cool piece of Johnny Romita artwork of Spider-Man swinging over the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. So Johnny Romita Sr. is is kind of like a classic Spider-Man artist. But you opened it up and inside were like single frames from individual comic books with empty word balloons. So there was one with Iron Man, there was one with Ghost Rider, there was one with somebody else. And I recognized the characters, but I didn't quite get what they were trying to do. So they told me that uh, the whole point from their point of view of going public and calling it Marvel Entertainment, not Marvel Comics, is that we really have a stable of entertainment characters with their own personalities that can be adapted to all different kinds of media other than comic books, which eventually bore out. And that's what we're trying to show. And I didn't know how to tell them this, but I didn't think they were you know, kicking the ball over the goal line, so to speak. So all I just said was, you know, the cover kind of does that, but I'm not sure the inside, you know, you're achieving your goal. So there was this guy named Bob Rasika, who is the CFO. So he kind of like kiddingly remarked, so like, what do you want to see? Spider-Man and Hulk as accountants debating over the numbers? And I go, yeah. <laughs> and, and I actually saw like light bulbs go off <laughs> over everybody's head. And kind of like the rest was history. We made it. It was covered on the front page of the New York Times business section. It was, it was covered by business. New, new, one by, you know, you put out the, then we followed with an annual report that was like this. And uh, it, it, at the time, it was the equivalent of breaking the internet. It, it was just, it had an incredibly positive reaction among institutional shareholders, retail shareholders, the media, and so forth. And it did, and it did exactly what their goal was, was to show that these characters have personalities and and the sense of humor that could go way beyond just comic books into other media. Love it. I absolutely love it. Okay, so who is your favorite comic book character? <laughs> oh, no, that's very easy. My favorite character is Captain America. 
Captain America. Stephen Rogers, a little scrawny guy from Brooklyn who became Captain America. Cool. (laughs) All right. I was a big Thor guy at my time, but... uh, I also like Thor. Yeah. So the passion you just shared with me, like you're smiling, you're beaming, and I, I just enjoyed listening to everything you had to say. What value would you say is really making this such a great moment for you? We can name a bunch of them, but which one would you call out? Well, well this, this was going to be my you know, advice, what, advice for anybody getting into the investor relations business at the end. But basically, anything that you do in life, uh, in particular, I guess, for business, um, you, know, you, you have to have a strong interest in it. That that will enable you to think about it constantly on, on how you can do something better, how you can make it happen better, um, what's going to happen next, and and so forth. So when they showed me this thing, I knew what was not working in their original idea. And when somebody suggested kind of like a really fun a little slightly wacky way of doing something, it, it just hit hit me as that's that's exactly the way to do it. Um, your creativity showed showed up and your 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 strategic thinking. But you know, when I think of Captain America, what 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 do you love about him? Oh Barney, I don't want to get to politics or anything. Oh <laughs> I, I never knew we'd go there. <laughs> but you know Captain America, you know Stan Lee would call him the living legend. Yeah. So Cap kind of embodies in actually a non-patriotic way, a non-moralistic way, American values. And uh, they were reflected kind of in the movie from the point of view that um, they use this theme of, you know, somebody's got to stand up to bullies. And in the World War II days, um, that was Hitler. And what's actually really interesting was when uh, Jack Kirby and what, what Jack Kirby, Joe Simon, and Stan Lee um, were writing Captain America. No, I think it was Joe Simon and Jack Kirby originally were writing Captain America in the, I believe, the very, very early 40s, early 19 or late 1930s when Hitler was first kind of rising in Europe, but um, we were not engaged in World War II yet, but they kind of called out Hitler as, as a world problem. Yeah. So and actually the first couple of Captain America comics, you know, created protests. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So Captain America is watching out for people who are being bullied, basically. And so it, it, there's a value there. I, I don't know how you would call it, but Definitely the protector or something of that nature, uh, which is cool. Definitely cool. I could I can see how that inspires you. It inspires me when you say it. So <laughs> give me another peak moment of success that you could share in your career. So this is, uh, I also like telling this story. It's not quite, quite, it's kind of colorful, not maybe not quite as colorful as the Marvel one, but um so I was lucky enough to have uh, to help World Rest, World Wrestling Entertainment with its uh, IPO, and um, 
the, the, all the advisors uh, on the IPO came to me. Well, first with first question was should Vince McMahon or and his wife at the time, Linda McMahon, which one should be the face of the company? Everybody knows Vince, but Linda kind of runs the company on a day-to-day basis. I think Vince's title was chairman and Linda's might have been president. And um, they were a little concerned because Vince is actually an actor on the show. He might not be all the time, but does play a role on the show. I don't know that that's their product. So oh, no, it's not him? Okay. <laughs> um, well, I that, that's all I know. So, But go ahead. So uh, I said, you know, keep Vince from the entertainment point of view, from the strategic point of view, as yeah. chairman, big picture, you know, don't, but let Linda, I think would be kind of like really interesting to everybody to know that there's a woman who's running this company uh, because it, it runs so counter to what you would think in actually how the company made money, what the company was, was probably one of those stories also like Marvel that was kind of like, you know, what you thought from the outside was not from the inside. Mm-hmm. You know, wrestling, I, I haven't studied it recently, but at the time it was a very, very profitable and very, very successful company. So we made Linda, you know, kind of like the, the you know, to use her as the face to Wall Street for conference calls, things like that. Sure. And then the second question, but of course that was really after the IPO, but it was partly during the road shows and going public. But then the other question was, at the time, Martha Stewart's company was also going public. And they came to me with the question saying, you know, we could actually coordinate this so that we could go public the same day that Martha Stewart goes public. Do you wow. think we powerful we women? And I and I said, absolutely, because you know, and Martha Martha Stewart had all this credibility. She's Martha Stewart. This was way before all, everything happened to Martha Stewart. She had tremendous credibility. Her sales were skyrocketing and so forth. And I said, then you could position, if you go public the same day, you could really position world wrestling as kind of like the male alter, like a kind of male-oriented entertainment company versus Martha Stewart, which is more female oriented. And they could be seen as different ways to play the same trend. And that that's what happened. And it worked from that point of view, but it also worked from an investor media entertainment point of view in that everywhere that Martha, everybody was going to interview Martha, right? Mm-hmm. CNBC, uh, CNBC, CNN, Everybody was going to interview Martha, and but if you came along and told them, well, World Wrestling also went public today, and we also have a female president, don't you want to interview her? And everybody said, well, of course, that would be great. So they all introduced Martha, and they said, okay, and later on today, we'll be having Linda McMahon from World Wrestling, and it just... It all just worked wonderfully. Man, your voice is just so inspiring. Uh, yeah, you think about these moments, and when you think about them, no matter what, it just shifts your perspective. I mean, your perspective is like high as a kite right now, and I love it. And we'll talk about that in a bit, but it's a great place to go whenever things aren't going so well. <laughs> you know, our perspectives are, you know, everything as far as I'm concerned. So let's let's skip around a little bit. You spent some time as the co-head of the corporate and investor relations for 
Publicis in the USA. Pretty big organization. What were some of the challenges you faced working for a parent company giant? Well, let me be clear. We were I was co-head of the corporate and IR practice. Ah. Publicis itself is a publicly traded company, and they had their own uh, corporate and IR, uh, corporate uh, public relations and corporate investor relations. So, Interesting. You know, this was a service that uh, they wanted to be able to sell to complement all their other public relations services. And unfortunately, it was this was in the uh, very late, it was like around 2000. It was a very difficult time for the public relations industry. There was the uh, dot-com, what's called the dot-com implosion kind of like the first generation of uh, internet companies imploded in the late 1990s and the beginnings of the 2000s. And then we ran into 9-11, which which also kind of caused uh, a bit of a recession. Yeah. So a lot of publicly traded companies were imploding and pulling back. And a lot of the new privately held technology companies were retrenching. So it was an extremely difficult time to generate business. However, uh, Maurice Levy, who uh, ran the company, who's since semi-retired, brought in two large uh, publicly traded companies, and we were able to uh, work on them in the U.S. And, and, uh, you know, we kind of fulfilled our mission for him. And um, in the end, it turned out okay. It wasn't uh, a box office success, but uh, we fulfilled our mission. Build your mission, what you're doing now and what you were doing there, there must have been some benefits to what you did. In other words, what anything that you've learned from a big organization like that or reporting to a big parent company is not always that easy. Well, when you work for over over time, you work for larger companies. Uh, all my companies are publicly traded companies and and, and they're fairly large. So it's um, like working for your clients. Yeah, yeah. There's a, uh, there's, a more, there's a there's a greater focus on procedure, making sure all the right people are, are communicating. And it's a little bit easier today with email that you can make sure everybody knows about everything. Right. Um, so in you know, if, if if a report is due at a certain time, you gotta make sure that. Everybody involved is is aware and they're on their on their game. I get it. Sure. Yeah, at the right time. So you're saying that uh, communications have improved since then. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that that for example, if there's five people that are supposed to know about something, you know, you put the you put you you, you send the email. Yeah. To the one, it's the easier. Five, you CC the other four and you take care of it like that. Yeah, a lot easier. There's a lot of Generation X, Millennials, and now Generation Zs who have dreams of running their own business. It it seems to be a lot of people want to get involved in startups and things of that nature. How did you know it was time for you to run your own business? Well, I really did it because I wanted to tie what I did more closely to the revenues that I was servicing or handling. So... I was working for this West Coast investor relations firm at the time. I was working in New York for them, but going back and forth a lot. And um, I was taking care of a lot of business. I had created a lot of opportunities for them. And I and I kind of came up with a formula that was kind of like, here's the proportion of work I do on these clients. Here's 
what I think they're paying the company. And if you give me, you know, X amount of this and Y amount of this and Z amount of this percentage, you know, that would equal my salary today, but it would also kind of wed me to the success of the business and inspire me to get more business and so forth. And they refused and I was stunned. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'm going to go into business for myself. And they kind of became my first client. Wow. That's a good story. What are the challenges you face working as an independent? Well, let's see. We're, we're there's so many things. Okay. So <laughs> I, in the PR, IR industry, there are three major functions. Uh, one is you got to get new business. Two is you have to do the work for the client. And three is kind of like all the administration paying for the bills and so forth. So when you start your own business, you have to do all three and, you know, what it takes to do one and what it takes to do the other and what it takes to the other kind of pull you in completely different directions and take your time away from everything else. So when you work for a big agency, you can focus on just one of them. If you want to be in administration, you can work on that. If you want to be in uh, providing the service for the client, you can do that. If you want to be in generating new business, you, you can do that. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the challenge is, is that, or the problem is that most people go into business for themselves. They do it because they have the skills to deliver the services for the clients. But the most important skill is actually or the most important ingredient for creating, creating and building a business is the ability to generate new business. Yes, so yes. Uh, it's for individual entrepreneurs, it's, it's very difficult. Over the years, the best formula that I've seen, the people who are most successful, who've grown from small shops, the big ones, independent, uh, I've found are those that have what I call a, a Mr. Inside and a Mr. Outside or a, a Ms. Inside or a Ms. Outside. You know, somebody who's out there kind of visible, schmoozing with people, getting new business and somebody who's taking care of it and making sure that it happens and so forth. And then I think, you can you can kind of easily more outsource the the admin admin part of the whole thing. That, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, absolutely, that makes a lot of sense. Investor relations is subject to the chaotic world world of Wall Street and the markets. <laughs> what are the challenges given when you're facing government regulations from SEC presentations, financial releases? What do you need to be especially careful of? Well, when you talk about regulations in the investor relations business, there's three major regulations that, that kind of govern it. Uh, one is what's called Regulation FD. This stands for full disclosure. And the point of it, the bottom line, is that you can't selectively dribble out information to people. At one point, this is what companies were allowed to do. If you have something to disclose that's material, you have to tell everybody. And you can either do that through a news release. You can do that through an interview with the, with the media. Those are probably two of the most approved uh, things. So you kind of, the challenge is, is, let's say, you know, nothing works perfectly. So over the course of a quarter, maybe you think you're, Sales are a little light or even heavier than you, you anticipated. You know, do you formally come out and say that, or are you just kind of like wait and see how the end of the quarter goes? Mm -hmm. I mean, 
supposed to care. The other one is uh, Regulation G, which gets a little bit into the weeds of accounting, but to make a long story short, the accounting industry has approved methods and approved numbers. Sometimes, however, those numbers don't adequately tell, kind of like get to the core guts of what's happening with the company. So the approved numbers are called GAAP, G-A-A-P. Generally accepted accounting principles. Accounting principles, right? And the other ones are called non-GAAP because they're, you know, you've made a few adjustments to it. So the SEC has a regulation which says, kind of like if you're gonna use a non-GAAP number, you have to make sure you've told everybody the gap number first. So sometimes there are, if, if you do it incorrectly, if you think you might be doing the right job, they'll come back to you and say, well, you know, we had a case, for example, where a company uh, in a non-gap calculation, and they didn't make a big deal out of it. They were just kind of like explaining what their uh, numbers were, pulled out um, how much money they were spending to deal with COVID. And the SEC um, said, you know, COVID, any expenses related to COVID should should not be considered, you cannot like pull them out. They are your operating expenses. Now, you can say that your operating expenses were X and that included Y amount of COVID-related expenses, but you could not develop a non-GAAP number that pulled out COVID-related expenses. I told you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it is a little weedy. I got a question for you. We've all had them, fire drills, things that like just absolutely were bonkers, yet we were able to manage through it eventually. Give me a, a moment in your in your career where there was high stress because something was happening that had to be done at a certain time. Uh, well, let me tell you about a high stress situation versus just a, merely a deadline. And this yeah. goes back, going back to the Marvel days. So there was a guy who was short marble, meaning he was betting the stock would go down, mm-hmm. who wrote a story in Barron's and did not disclose did not disclose that he was a short seller. And it kind of made out that Marvel, well, look, you're going to a toy store. And how much more could they possibly license? <laughs> There's no way this company could get any bigger. And this is when the company had maybe a a market value of uh, $400 million, $500 million. P.S., you know, it was sold to Disney for $4 billion. Right. And it was over a holiday weekend, President's Weekend. So other reporters picked up the story, obviously called into the switchboard, couldn't get through, so wrote that, you know, nobody from the company could be reached. And then come Tuesday, Tuesday, the stock drops from 60 to 40. And this is... Uh, now, hearing about things like that, that's not uncommon, but this is when that kind of stuff rarely happened. So it was a very difficult day answering people's questions. Um, how did this happen? How did writing? What's good? What are you doing? And so forth. And especially difficult when the story was based on a very speculative premise, like, okay, how can you possibly license more Marvel stuff? You know, <laughs> and... So at the very end of the day, I was talking again to the CEO, Bill Bevins, and I go, Bill, Bill, what do we do? Yeah. And Bill had this great line, which I'll never forget. He goes, look, when a truck is rolling downhill, he said, there are two things you could do. 
You can try and stand in front of it and stop it. Or you could just wait till it gets to the bottom of the hill, open the door to the cab, put the keys into the ignition, turn on the engine and just drive back up the hill again. So I thought <laughs> when you look at it that way, that's the better way to do it. So uh, I like that. Kind of like it's it's hard to control the world, but you've got to maintain control and just do the best you can. And sometimes you can change things overnight and sometimes you can't. Sounds like you can have that attitude of creating uh, the Marvel experience for uh, the annual and quarterlies, even when the truck is racing down the hill. And when you do, it will get there and you'll enjoy the ride more. Does that make sense? <laughs> Not exactly sure, Barney. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, you're smiling and laughing. So, uh, you know, and that's kind of what I'm trying to get at is when you're in the middle of the truck rolling down the hill, you can either be sweating and, you know, nervous and upset and, you know, what are we going to do and what are we going to do? Or you could go back to a place where everything worked out fine. And if you know that the truck is just going to get to the bottom of the hill and you'll drive it back up, you'll enjoy the ride going down and up again. Well, I don't think you can. It's very difficult to enjoy the ride down. Um, <laughs> very nice. Yeah, to ride but if, if you're thinking about a peak moment in your life when everything was working well, your attitude shifts. And so, in other words, that's what the chemistry factor is about. It's about attitude. So when you're thinking about this truck running down the hill and you've got the confidence of believing in everything's going to work out fine anyway, because when it gets to the bottom, you're going to drive it back up again. I mean, we think about the future when we're in that truck and it could be really scary because we don't want to be in the future and we don't want to be in the past. We want to be in the now. The question is, how do you get to the now that really serves you? And what I'm hearing is what serves you is like the empowerment that you're, you, you achieved when you did the, the Marvel quarterlies and financials. It's easy to do when it's over. The key is to do it while it's happening. Okay. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. I'm just sharing something to think about. Something to think about. Uh, right now, it's, you know, it's not like a stressful moment for you because it's already finished. But in the stressful moment, when you're empowering yourself with a, a story that empowers the value of, of strength or of protection or whatever it may be, look at this, uh, the, the president in Ukraine right now. He's inspiring. Uh, he's going downhill, <laughs> you know, but he's doing it in a way that is inspiring everybody around it. So, you know, I didn't want to talk politics, but it's kind of fresh in my mind right now. And you, you wonder how he gets there. You know, some people... They take the they take the car rather than ask for the ammunition. Well, I, I think that what I've found is that uh, you know when it comes to things like investor relations or public relations or business uh, situations where you have a setback, that's why it's very important to have a really clear understanding of what your business plan is, why you're doing it, how it works, so that um, if something doesn't work out, you can. Um, and it may be due, due to external factors or something like that. If you uh, know, know how your plan works and what's supposed to happen, you just continue pursuing that and it'll all turn out. Don't know whether I can compare that to a giant superpower amassing hundreds of thousands of troops on my border. 
Well, you like Marvel, you're a superpower, you know, Captain America. Somehow he has the confidence and he's not thinking about what could go wrong. He's thinking about what he can do to make it right. Uh, That's kind of what I talk about, you know, but that's it's something that it it takes practice to do to empower your values. I use peak moment stories, which, you know, is what normally gets people to shift their attitude when they're thinking about things that inspire them. How has the digital revolution affected the IR industry and, and your clients? Well, number one, is it's eliminated all manual labor. And, you know, going back years ago, old days, you know, part, of, part of the reason why you hired an IR firm was for people to print and stuff envelopes and mail them out. So that doesn't exist anymore. Right. And now work is 24-7. Um, so you get emails, texts from clients in the middle of the night, and you have to respond. So the pace for IR and public relations, corporate public relations is so much faster. Nobody sits down to hash things out. Everything is uh, kind of discussed asynchronous uh, through email or text. Yes. So as the IR PR person, you need to be really focused on being organized, remembering things, taking care of things, capturing ideas uh, so you can move and respond as quickly as possible. Um, We're now actually seeing the development of online workflow tools digitizing, kind of digitizing everything that you do on one platform. Not that it does it for you, but kind of like organizes it for you so you don't have to copy information from one thing to the next. And they're, they're at a good start, but, but and it's the direction the industry is going to go in, but the platforms still need a lot of work. With, with all of this technology, final question, what word to the wise would you give people who are thinking of joining the IR industry? Well, Number one, you have to see the big and the small picture simultaneously. You have to be able to understand what this little thing you're working on now or this project that you're working on now, how it fits in the bigger picture and how the bigger picture relates to that smaller thing that you're doing. Um, The second thing is what I call you have to have 3D thinking, and that's the ability to project ahead that if this happens, then what happens next, then what happens after that, or if my company X does this, what does that mean? And what will that mean? So many people just kind of like look at email, respond to one email after another, and don't, don't kind of see the big picture of where it's all going or understand what they need to go. I, I mean, how many times have I sat down at a meeting with a client, whether it's Zoom or in person, and I've got a notepad out, taking down what they have to say. I'm with you. You know, and then lastly, as I said earlier, no matter what you do, whether it's investor relations or public relations, it it has to be your passion, or as you say, you have to have shared values for it because how else are you going to get up in the morning and do it? 100%. And how you be successful in anything you do unless you're constantly thinking about uh, what you're doing, how you can make it better. If, if you don't care, then you're just waiting for other people to tell you what to do or how to think. You know, nobody hires you for your ability to just sit there and, and listen and follow orders. We don't want soldiers, we want leaders, we want thinkers. I tell people, I want your heart and your brain. I don't want your body. Oh, uh, wow. Uh, you know, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Gary. And I want to leave you with this thought. I want you to wake up every day 
and empower Captain America within yourself. And when you do that, walk throughout the course of the day and be Captain America and see, see what happens. See, see how you react, because it could change your perspective when the unknown shows up. Thank you for being a guest. Thanks, Barney. It was a lot of fun. All right. I will speak to you later. Have a great day. Okay. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and recommend The Chemistry Factor to your friends. If you would like to connect with me on social media, reach out to Barney Feinberg on LinkedIn. To connect with me directly, email barney at thechemistryfactor.com. Until next time, empower your business success every day.